Uganda has been experiencing an outbreak of Rift Valley fever, with the first human case reported in February 2023. The World Health Organization has identified Rift Valley fever as a priority disease for research because of its potential to cause outbreaks, and more effective tools are needed for prevention, diagnosis, and treatment. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Nelson Wandera, a physician in the Infectious Disease Unit at Mbarara Regional Referral Hospital in southwest Uganda. Dr. Wandera has co-authored a perspective article about responding to Rift Valley fever. Dr. Wandera, how is Rift Valley fever virus transmitted and what health effects does it typically cause? Rift Valley fever is a zoonotic disease, mainly in angulates, like we wrote. And in my part of the country is where most of the cows are reared. So this is a cattle-keeping area, and most of our people here keep cows. So the transmission, to be specific, is through mosquitoes, from mosquitoes to animals, but also it can be from mosquitoes which are infected to humans. That is one way. The other way that humans get it is through contact with blood from infected animals. So if a cow was infected and a human being got in contact with that cow's blood, maybe during slaughter or during normal delivery, if maybe a vet was assisting the animal to deliver, they would get infected. Three is through the infected meat from those animals. And also, finally, through drinking unpasteurized or uncooked milk from such infected animals. So those are the known ways of transmission of rift valley fever from animals to humans. However, there hasn't been a documented case of human-to-human transmission. What's known about the current outbreak in Uganda? How did it begin and how many people and animals are affected? The current outbreak that we are having in Uganda we suspect that it might have begun towards the end of 2022, in about November, December. However, we began getting cases around February this year in my hospital. But the surveillance had begun as early as December last year. So far, the number of animals, I may not have that number, but so far here at the Infra, we have received about 33 cases of patients who have come in with rift valley fever, both in the severe form and also in a mild form. And what have you observed treating patients during the outbreak, and how has your hospital responded to it? Rift valley fever, because of the way that it happens to humans, it has a likelihood like malaria. And you know that Uganda is one of the endemic areas with malaria. So most of the people who get the symptoms think it's actually malaria. So they go to local private facilities and treat for about three, four weeks until they begin to have bleeding. So most of the patients that receive are the referral, mostly in the late stage of the disease. So they come in with bleeding. So there is blood in the urine or they are bleeding from the nose or they are bleeding from the gums or there is actually blood in their stool. So they come in in the late stages with renal failure, with liver failure, with really a deranged electrolyte levels. The CBC that we have observed, so most of them come in with low platelets. Their platelet count is very, very low, and also they are also anemic. So that's the picture that the patients come in with. And basically what we do for them is supportive management, so we give drugs that can stop bleeding, like tronexamic acid. We try to give them fresh frozen plasma here to help 
on amplifying, on stopping on the bleeding, but also giving back as a way of managing the anemia. We also give them blood. And then we do dialysis. Dialysis has benefits. So before we knew this, we were just managing supportively until we began to notice that actually dialysis can make a big difference in these people's lives. We were losing almost 100% of the patients until we began to do dialysis. So dialysis was the game changer, and we have had a few people surviving because of that. So in your perspective article, you talk about the need for an integrated health systems approach to Rift Valley fever virus, which would begin with community involvement. What types of information and resources do community members need to identify and report cases of Rift Valley fever? The kind of information that we need at the community level is, one, we want them to first identify animals which are infected with Rift Valley fever. So, for example, here people have farms and farms have many animals. And I was talking to one of the farmers and they had observed that there had been many abortions among his cows, but he had not really noticed what the problem is. And at the time I was talking to him, he was actually having symptoms that are pointing towards little fever. So the information that we want at the community level one is the symptoms. We want the farmers to know the symptoms of little fever infection in both animals and also in humans. And we have seen that most of the local cows here may not show symptoms, but most of the crossbreeds between the local and the exotic, the crossbreeds, generally they become weak. That is one, two, they lose appetite, three, that they produce little milk, and four, if they are younger, like cubs, they die. And many pregnant animals begin to experience abortions. So if a farmer is seeing such in his animals, we tell them that you could have an outbreak or refugee fever, and that is on one side. On the side of humans, the information that we get out there is one, general body weakness. So if you are a butcher, you are in contact with animals, you are in the animal business, and you begin to experience general body weakness, you begin to, to experience malaise. Those are the early signs, loss of appetite, joint pains, and fevers. Once you experience that, we tell them that do not just assume that it is malaria, you need a thorough assessment. So that's the information that we firstly want at the community level. That's what the community should know, to increase on their scope of suspicion. And then at the level of primary health centers and hospitals like yours, what tools are needed to facilitate diagnosis and treatment? So, for example, from the community level, we have what they call health centers. So we have the center two, health center three, health center four, and then health center four now can refer to the referral hospital where I sit. But at the level of the community facilities, we would like that they would, if we could develop point of care tests, that is one thing that I think my article is advocating for, point of care tests. If we could have those developed and put at the health center level, it would increase on the testing capacity instead of just basing one, because most people go to these facilities and all they can do for them is test them for malaria, or typhoid and manage them for that until when they begin to bleed. So if there could be also a point of care test for RRVF, we would be able to identify these cases much more early at the community level. And then for those cases that come in at the critical stage in a severe form, they are referred to us here. So usually we take off a sample that we send to the national lab. So we have one national laboratory that runs all the VHF samples and it does PCR, basically. 
So it does PCRs and also I think a bit of ELISA, but mostly PCR. So we send the samples there for testing, for confirmation. But then here for us, we'll continue with the treatment. The game changer now has been dialysis. So patients go through very little dialysis sessions to improve on their renal capacity. And of course, the blood transfusion and then giving drugs like phonexamic acid, like I mentioned earlier, that help to stop the bleeding. And then also the other drugs that help to stabilize the body, plus antibiotics where there is need. So that's basically what we do at the referral level concerning management. The other is that because the referral in Uganda, a referral hospital like mine takes responsibility for about 12 districts, which is the southwestern part of Uganda, 12 districts. And those districts averagely have about 8 million people, you see. So we try to go down also to build capacity. So we train lower health centers to recognize the symptoms of VHF in patients. One, two is that we train them to take off samples because there is a system that has been put on called the hubs, the lab hub system for collecting samples in their communities and transferring them to the national laboratory. So we try to teach them on how to take off the samples and on how to move the samples from the facility, maybe to our facility, and then how to have those samples transported to the national laboratory. Though we still express delays. So like I mentioned in my article, we have a turnaround time of about 48 to 96 hours, you see? And that's very, very critical time for a patient who comes in bleeding. That's a very, very critical time. So the point of care tests are still important even at the referral level because they help us identify exactly to have a sort of diagnosis, even as they're sending off the sample to the National Laboratory for further examination and testing, I think having a point of care test is very, very important and which we don't have. And also we do surveillance activities and in those we meet farmers and with the farmers, we talk to them about vaccinating animals and uh, also using mosquito nets, like I mentioned in my article. So that's basically what we are doing here at a referral level, but also we encourage your community members not to eat meat from animals which have died suddenly. That is a very, very big aspect of rift water fever sort of surveillance because most farmers go ahead to sell dead animals to the meat industry at a cheaper cost. So we are encouraging that those dead carcasses of infected animals, especially in a region like this. So if you wake up and your animal is dead, we encourage you that you don't sell that animal, which is a habit which has been happening in their communities. So many of them are waking up and we believe that that culture, that practice is going to end. So basically that's what we are doing so far. And then finally, the last component of the integrated approach that you describe in your article is support for research centers. So what are the most important research questions about Rift Valley fever that are still open and how should scientists work with stakeholders in the community and with healthcare facilities like yours to answer those questions? There is perhaps less research as concerns Rift Valley fever as compared to perhaps other viral hemorrhagic fevers. So our article one is to sound a drum that there is still more work needed to be done as concerning Rift Valley fever. So of importance, one is 
we are encouraging many scientists to focus on clinical trials, perhaps for point of care tests. So we need point of care tests, rapid diagnostic tests for RVF for early identification, both at all the levels, at community level, at health center level, but also at the referral level. So that is important. And two, we are also calling for development of vaccines. There are no vaccines for referral fever. I think there might be one for animals, but there is still an issue of getting it in my country. We haven't had routine vaccination for animals against RLVF. It hasn't happened here. So it is something that we are encouraging research into both on the animal end, but also on the human end. And we are also encouraging that there should be a little bit of viral uh, genomic analysis at research centers to encourage more study on this virus and the vaccine production capacity. Yes. So I think during the COVID outbreak, there were talks about having vaccine production centers in Africa which I think has been quite low on our continent. So I invite and I call upon more researchers to invest more on vaccine production capacity in Africa and in my country, Uganda, for diseases like we have now, which are discussing refrigerated fever. And so we encourage engagement veterinary science. This being a zoonotic disease, we want to work hand in hand with the veterinary sciences so that we better understand the disease and also better understand how to manage it. So those are the calls that we are making, especially at the research level. So to be specific, one, developing a vaccine, two, developing an antiviral drug that can help in humans, and also three, developing testing kits. So those three are quite important, Then plus others that I've mentioned, like vaccine production. Thank you, Dr. Wandera.